Hey, welcome back. Boy, do we have a doozy of an episode for you today. Why don't we get things rolling? Seated to my left is a man that everyone knows, but does anyone ever really see? He recently had his hair trimmed. He has a beard that would make your grandmother jealous. And he loves C.S. Lewis almost as much as he loves The Last Jedi. And ladies, he's available, but for the right price, of course. It's Glendon Frank. Yeah. Woo. Myself? Well, I didn't leave my house for six days last week. He needs someone to get him out of the house. <laughs> and I had a conversation with myself on Twitter. That is true. And I'm also single, so why don't you pull out your phones and uh, pull, up, pull up the only dating app that matters, Christian Mingle. Yikes. That's also a movie we can talk about. <laughs> this is Noah Harms and Glenn and Frank, and we are 3040 Vision. Do you agree that you love C.S. Lewis almost as much as you love The Last Jedi? I mean, those are both very good things. Do you agree that your grand that your beard would make a grandmother jealous? I don't know what that means. So <laughs> yes. Do you agree that you're available, but for the right price? Um, to an extent, like, I'm <laughs> what's not, the price? I'm not interested in like prostitution or anything. If that if that's what you're going for. But you did get a haircut. I did get a haircut. That's correct. So I said something. Accurate. Yeah. Um, I had a dream about Darren Dick. I'm, I thought you were going to say for a second you had a dream about me. So I'm glad that went no. a different direction. No, it was about Darren. <laughs> I fell asleep at four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Okay. And I suddenly, I was in a church. It was an Anglican church. Oh. And I'm sitting in a pew and to my left walked to Darren and he looks at me and gives me that smirk. Like, you know that smirk where he walks by you in the hallway? I, I know exactly. And and then he just went and sat down. And then I woke up. Was it was it like the french fry smirk? What's a french fry smirk? Do you not remember that? Last Films for Faith? No. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly story. what it was. Oh, man. Okay, we actually do have a good episode for you today. Possibly. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things, but to start out, we have a problem on campus. This bit was unfortunately removed following a complaint from the FCC. Needless to say, it involved fries being very publicly dipped in gravy, resulting in a mess for innocent bystanders to clean up. So Noah, what do you have for us today? Today, I have something sizable. You set me up for that one. <laughs> How intentional was that? Uh, very. I was yeah. thinking of... Okay, anyway, come thou fount of every blessing. No! I'm probably going to cut that. Please do. I didn't. Okay, this took a turn. So, Noah, what do you have for us today? That was so loud. You peaked so hard there. So, Noah, what do you have for that us today? That is so much better. Okay, today we're going to be... 
I think I've alluded to it enough. So at this point, I want to offer a bit of a warning because we do talk about issues of mental health in, in this episode. And given the subject matter of the Joker, it could be triggering to some of you. And so I just want to make that clear. And I also want to clarify that I'm not sure how it comes across, but at no point are we equating anyone who struggles with mental health issues to psychopaths or to violent um, white supremacists or incels or whatnot. Um, I feel like we do mention that that's a stereotype that the movie falls victim to, that someone who struggles with mental health is violent or dangerous or insane. And so I want to make it clear that we do not equate um, those those different um, terms. If you struggle with mental health and you relate to the Joker because he, you feel alone like he does or you feel isolated like he does, um, we don't want to equate you with those who condone violence as a response. And that's what we talk about in this episode. Okay, I'll, I'm trying to be a little bit serious now. Are you? We tried to invite some people on the podcast. Nobody was interested. Nobody was interested. We talked. I uh, talked to at least five people. You talked to five people? Yeah. I'm counting Ethan, even though I didn't actually ask him. <laughs> Who's the fifth person? My friend from down south. Like from Texas? <laughs> yeah, from Texas. He's a he's a country boy. He's gonna come up and be on a podcast. Yeah, he's gonna come up and sit in my bedroom. He's coming specifically for your bedroom. We should have asked Darren. Actually, that would have been fun. That could be interesting. Maybe next time. Maybe next. I time. feel like once popular fiction like launches the yeah. class next semester, having Darren on to talk yeah. about that would be kind of good. That'd be interesting. I'm I'm debating whether or not I'm gonna be in that class. You're dropping pop heat. He even mentioned you on Twitter. Oh, I know. And that that's the scary thing. Here's the thing. Um, if the like travel study goes off, then I have an additional 400-level class. I didn't know that was still a thing. Do you want to come? Yeah, I was going to go if, if, if it was going to be Talk a thing. Talk to Kyle. We're looking for numbers. But how, many, how much money is this going to cost me? Um, right now, they're estimating like four grand. For how long? Uh, 17 days? It's like two and a half weeks. Talk to Kyle. We're looking for numbers. To where? Uh, Berlin and Paris and some countries in between. You're talking about a great European vacation. Yeah. Dude, talk to Kyle like immediately after this. I don't know Kyle though. Who cares? I know his daughter though. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Just yeah. kind of. Speaking of which, shout out to Sarah Joy. Who couldn't be on this podcast. Who couldn't be on this podcast, but made us some nice art for, That's the, true. Uh, for the channel. Is that what it's called? The channel? I sure. Anyway. Call it whatever we want. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to hit her up yeah. and let her know. She's not on Christian Mingle. No. But I am. Are you? Maybe. That wouldn't surprise me. Maybe. I actually, I like... If we're going to actually talk about this, I signed up ironically like a couple years ago. I have a story about that. What was that sound? That was that was my uke. 
That was impressive. Tell us your story. Um, so I have a buddy, and he can go unnamed, um, but he signed up ironically. His name's Jason. Sure. Uh, he signed up ironically for Christian Mingle, mm. and we found out about this because his first year, my second year, he got an email from Christian Mingle that he matched with someone 100%. Ooh. And uh, the way Christian Mingle works, he started a thing. He started a Christian Mingle account. The way Christian Mingle works is you can, like, have an account, but you have to pay to get, like, a lot of the details and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he didn't pay for anything. And so he, there's this person he had matched 100% with, and he didn't have any details or whatever. Um, and one of our buddies were like, dude, you need, to, you need to pay for the full account, and you can find out who this person is. And he's like, there are way easier ways to stalk people than that. And so he looked her up on Facebook, found out she's from Pinoca area, a um, couple different details, um, went to like a Bible school, and had mutual friends with people that we knew. Wow, what a twist. Yeah. And so one of the people, her boyfriend was in the room at the time. And so he got him to start like texting his girlfriend and be like, yo, give us the deets on this person. Um Anyway, one thing led to another, and our our buddy with the account started chasing this guy. I was like, what are you doing? He's like roasting him or whatever, and left his phone on the couch. Uh-oh. The phone was open. Oh, boy. So I take it. I type out a, a, a message, and in this message, I say, my name is Jason. I think we decided what his name was Jason. His name is Jason L. Providence. Yeah. My name is Jason L. Providence, and I like weekends. Is yours free? That's amazing. And I sat on that for a bit, and he came back, and I was like, okay, so I don't... This isn't sent. If you are explicitly against me sending this, say so. And he kind of, like, hummed and hawed for a bit, and he, like, made a joke out of it. Mm. And then Mm. he was like, as a joke, he's like, ah, just send it. And I was like, okay, that's consent. And so I hit the send button. Uh, That's a debatable consent, but... um. (laughs) Uh, long story short, she saw it and never replied and thought it was cute, but a little forward. That's fair. So. And? And then that's it. And now he's in a different relationship, so I can't use that as a future wedding story. Maybe I can. Jason, I know you're in a relationship. Dump her. Find this woman. <laughs> and make Glendon's dreams come true. <laughs> that's what we need. And then you can come on the podcast. Yeah. Only then. Only then. That's that's what you have to do to get on here. Yeah. Um, I actually did match with someone on Christian Mingled ninety nine percent. Just so you know. Don't know who she was though. You didn't you didn't follow up on it? Nope, and I didn't pay the full price either. If I signed in right now I could probably show you. Ooh, exciting. Do I want to? No. I don't know where this was going, but we suddenly started talking about dating instead of the Joker. That's because um, intel culture. We need to talk about the Joker, though, because the reaction to the Joker and the reaction to Don Cherry's firing are related. Noah has a conspiracy. And the reaction to The Last Jedi and Captain Marvel fit right, right into this mix. Ooh. So why don't we... Just jump right into it. Oop. 
It kind of sounded like you could have done like the John Cena. Da, 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 da. Ooh. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. That sounded kind of janky, but I've I've had this uke, and I have been playing this uke for like less than a month. So I've been playing guitar for ten years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> why don't you bring your guitar and you show off your talents? I mean, I could. But that's just a long ways to bring a guitar. You that's know? true. It's kind of like, so we need to talk. We need to talk about the reaction to the Joker. Okay. I actually have a lot I want to say on this. Okay. And I need to clarify. I've never actually seen the full movie. I have. Um, I've read reviews. Like mine. Which I have read yours. So if I end up saying anything from your review and I don't like cite you, I'm sorry. I just forget what I've read. It's okay. I will be saying a lot of things from different people. Um, and myself. I feel like we need to talk about that climactic scene, which is the only scene I've seen in the movie. You know which one I'm referring to, right? You're, are you referring to like the talk show scene? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one that someone dubbed over with the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Oh, I saw someone do it, but like intercut it with Eric Andre. Oh my goodness. Which was really funny. You, I even, I, I, I sent you that SpongeBob one on Twitter. Did you? Or, or I, uh, I tagged you Oh. in a comment and you never saw it, I guess. But it's, I... it's hilarious just if you want to watch it. But anyway, it's, we need to talk about that scene because I feel like that I could be wrong, but just from what I got from from watching it that it's probably emblematic of the movie oh yeah it's easily the worst part of the movie but also the thesis statement of the movie yeah. and that's and that's what i have to talk about that's, here. that's the part of the movie where todd phillips puts all the pacing that he's done on pause and steps forward to give a, a whole rant about why he can't make hanover movies anymore okay that's uh, that's an extreme view. This is probably the one case where I might be a little bit more centrist. But I need to talk about what the character Arthur says in that movie at that point. Anytime you play the uke, it's going to come through the mic. I know. <laughs> okay, anyway. So Arthur, not Arthur Morgan from the Red Dead Redemption series. I like how that's the assumption you think people are making. Because Arthur Morgan is one of the top video game characters of all time. There's also, like, King Arthur, who's one of the top literary characters probably of all time. Not in terms of, like, characterization, just in terms of, like, notoriety. Give me Arthur Morgan. Oh, okay. There's people laughing outside. There are people laughing outside. They're probably dipping fries in gravy, too. (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, back to what happens in that movie. So, Arthur... Basically, at that point, at this in this climactic scene, Mr. He's, he's in a in a show, kind of a showdown, I guess, with this talk show host, who I don't really know too much about. I'm assuming um, he seems like kind of a dick. Here's the thing. This is yes. the thing about this movie is there's one notable character. Mm. So people people love Walking Phoenix's performance because mm-hmm. it's a good performance, but he's the only person with any kind of like subtle characterization in the movie. Yeah. Everyone else is just a jerk to be a jerk or they don't exist yeah no i think that's kind of what i was what i was getting the, the feel of from that yeah. scene and so so murray who's like um robert de niro's character he has mm-hmm. like this whole talk show host he it's it's the most absurd pre- pre- premise because it takes place in like the 80s i yeah. think um and so arthur fleck has some stand-up in like some dive bar and it's a really trash stand-up set mm-hmm. and it's just 
he he has like disabilities and stuff and so it doesn't go very well and his the pacing and stuff isn't very good somehow someone gets footage of this again this is a 1980s dive bar i don't know who the heck is filming this somebody films this mm-hmm. and then gets this film to this big talk show host who then airs the film in front of everyone as if it's like America's funniest home videos, mm-hmm. except it's the 1980s. Like that doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he airs this random trash, nobody in front of people just to make fun of ever make fun of him in front of everyone, which is a pretty dick move. It's, it's needlessly cruel. Yeah. Like it's needlessly, it, it's almost hilariously cruel. There's no logic to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the whole the whole premise in he's airing clips on a 1980s sh- like show of some guy that nobody ever has heard of it, it's ludicrous and so he does this and then after doing this he f- finds Arthur Fleck somehow again no idea how um finds this guy and then encourages him to come onto his show so he can make fun of him in person which again laughably needlessly cruel. The whole premise of this movie is everyone is a tool for no good reason just to give Arthur any sort of motivation. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the premise would work better if it were in like today. Oh yeah, cuz it's this is this is a running thing, a running problem with this movie is it wants to be a nod to like 1980s Scorsese and like um, all these these classic crime films, mm-hmm. but it also wants to be like a modern critique of society, and so it tries to do both, and it fails to do mm. both because it's just this weird, awkward thing where it's like modern themes in a society that that doesn't hold up in because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of why I wanted to talk about the reaction to the film because. The reaction I've seen from most like film critics mm-hmm. and from people who are educated in what makes a, 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 a good film, basically. A good, good film. A good, good film. Just like a good, good father. Yeah. Um, they've been fairly critical of the oh, movie. Yeah. Like, not, and I'm not just saying that because you've been critical of the movie. No, I've think... seen critical reaction from so many different sources at oh, this yeah. point. But there's a significant segment of the population that enjoyed the movie and mm. what i found is that it's because they relate to the main character which and we need and that's why i wanted to talk about that climactic scene i don't i don't i think i think that is part of it for some people yeah i also feel like there's a subset and i feel like i'm gonna say really pretentious sound really pretentious when i say this but i think there are a subset of people who just haven't seen a lot of movies yeah and so they're like, oh, this is really new and original. And they don't realize that this exact premise has been done 50 times before. Oh, yeah. In much better ways. I feel like... Maybe I should segment this a little bit. But mm. there's there are people who like the movie just because it's another movie. And it's... Like, yeah. if you if you aren't a film critic... It's just basic it, it could just be a good... Yeah, it could just be... And you could enjoy the movie. Or at least... I don't know if you could enjoy it. But, like... Be interested in the movie. Exactly. It gets you drawn in at the very least yeah because there are interesting themes it's just they're not handled well yes. and they've been done by other better by other people so there's that segment but then there is the segment i feel like that the ones that are most defensive mm. that need to defend arthur because they relate to the character yeah. and 
like, and I want to go back to that climactic speech because I feel like what he says is basically like everybody, like in our society, which obviously the character is talking about the eighties, but I, uh, the director, the writer is talking about our society. Oh like yeah, our society, like hundred percent. Um, talks about how people don't put each like don't put don't see don't have empathy basically mm-hmm. for each other they don't put each other don't put themselves in each other's shoes that, mm-hmm. that's what i'm trying to say yeah and that's it's basically what he says and he kind of calls out murray for being a dick mm-hmm. and at that point like if it were to have just ended there what he said is like right to an extent to an extent our society is rather mm-hmm. individualistic yeah we don't have a lot of empathy yeah and there are the people who are different, who are who have mental illnesses, mm-hmm. are made to feel alone and isolated. Mm-hmm. And like, if he, if he had left it at that, it would have been like, you know what? He kind of has a point, and maybe like, there's some kind of like almost more of an anti-hero than a villain vibe. Maybe. But then he continues, and Murray actually brings up what I think is a good point, like. Where was your empathy when those police officers were killed as a result of your actions? Yeah. Right? And Arthur doesn't respond to that. He ignores it, laughs it off, and goes on to critiquing Murray for -hmm. being a dick, which, again, Murray is a dick in the context of the movie. and But then escalates the whole situation to being, to, to a joke, a punchline, which, again, I guess it fits the movie. That, like, what happens when you cross someone who's has mental illness and has been completely isolated and othered, he doesn't mm. use that word, by okay. society, what do you, what happens when you cross him with the society that has othered him? I have the line. Oh, okay, good, yeah, read it. Yeah, so this is the line, and, okay, we, we, can, we can talk yeah. about this. So the line that he gives is he says... Spoiler he, alert. Spoilers. I should probably... I'll throw that in earlier. Yeah, that's fair. Um, spoiler alert. Don't see this movie. Um, what do you get when you cross a... Me- this is this is his final line. Yeah. What do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? You get what you effing deserve, and then he shoots the guy. So so here's the thing with everything that happens in that scene yes. up until this point. Yeah. He has his point earlier in that mm. scene where he talks about empathy, and he's right. But he's entirely, he sees it entirely through his own lens. Oh, yeah. Like, he's a huge hypocrite oh, in this massively. moment. And the problem is that the director does not, I don't know if he paints him as a hypocrite in this moment. I don't think he's trying. I think it's almost like it. it is, like, the, his actions are justified because of his punchline there. So, here's the thing. This is the thing. You, so, author, um, what is it? Author work distinction. Oh, are we talking about like, uh, like literary theory? Sort of, to an extent, because this is the thing with this movie. There is an almost inseparable link between its director and the substance mm-hmm. and the message of the movie. Yeah. Um, in the weeks preceding the movie's release, Todd Phillips, the director who's also done like ha- Hanover and a bunch of other things, mm-hmm. um, he made a whole string of statements about how, um, the society like society these days is like too uh, too sensitive he can't make hanover movies anymore mm-hmm. nobody wants to see them and a bunch of stuff kind of in that line and 
I sort of blew it off, and I was like, you know what? Your statements are whack, but, like, maybe your movie will actually be good. But in this scene, the Joker basically makes all of those same statements. Mm -hmm. He's like, who are we to decide what funny is? Uh, I can shoot people, and that can be funny. Um, And so the director wants us to agree with Arthur in this whole sense because Mm -hmm. the director is just putting his words in Arthur's mouth. And this is... This this whole line, like what happens when you cross society with the mentally ill or whatever, mm-hmm. like that is the thesis statement of the movie. Yep. But the movie doesn't support it, and it's just kind of backwards because the whole logic of that statement is, oh, we can just go and murder people if we feel bad about it. Like that's fine. It's, it's basically justifying people who are mentally ill that react violently. Oh yeah. By saying it's entirely society's fault, and I'm not, and that's not to say that society does treat people whether it's mental illness mm-hmm. or minorities mm-hmm. or like and that, and that's another big problem the movie completely yeah. glosses over like minorities and, and even treats them at least supposedly from what i've seen yeah and and the whole way it treats the mentally ill because mm. arthur fleck is very very much labeled as mentally ill mm-hmm. there's one or two characters also who are eventually labeled as mentally ill and it's essentially as soon as someone has mental illness in the movie they are violent Mm. They are violent, they are ignorant, they are a danger to society. Mm-hmm. And that is just a theme in the movie. Yeah. And this final statement agrees with that. The final statement is like, if you are a society that ignores mentally ill people, mentally ill people are going to shoot you. Mm-hmm. That is the implicit statement, if not the explicit statement of the movie. And it yeah. basically says that they are deserved for doing that. Yeah, and that's... It's so messed up. Like, it is messed up. And, like... I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who would who would feel that way, that they're justified in harming people because of how they've been treated. And it's, like, the world, like, the world isn't a great place, if, if we're being honest. There are people that do, that, that thrive on separating and mm-hmm. marginalizing people. But that being said, those that have mental illness and feel that way, feel that they've been isolated... Oftentimes, it's not rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. It's not like, and, and that's not to say that I don't. I don't know what happens to Arthur throughout the movie, and I don't know if he actually is. Other than uh, obviously in the moment with Murray, mm-hmm. the his, the whole point there is trying to show that he has been othered, I guess, by by society because of what happened to him mm-hmm. with that with the clip that was shown on the on on the talk show. But like, it's. There's... I don't know what to do with the fact that it justifies the actions of someone. Yeah. The violent actions of someone because they've been treated poorly. And mm-hmm. <sighs> and again, like so much of the movie is just needlessly cruel. Where if it mm-hmm. if it was like and this is I think my biggest problem with the movie is there is a chance for this movie to have legitimate social critiques, yeah. but it just chooses to be fantastical and ridiculous at every turn. Mm. And so you have like Thomas Wayne is in the movie mm-hmm. and he is introduced as like this billionaire who cares about the poor and wants to help the cause of the poor. But then very quickly he becomes like, no, you don't get it. I'm trying to help you. Y'all are all stupid clowns and I'm trying to help you. And it's everyone is just needlessly stupid and needlessly cruel. Mm. And that is the justification for Arthur going around murdering people is the rest of society is stupid. And what, and I guess I think I kind of said this earlier, but like the only reason Arthur reacts that way is because it's impacting him. Yeah. Like, 
it's not like he's reacting to like social justice issues where other oh, no. people are being there is there is one scene in the movie that I just keep coming back to where um so he has this gun that somebody's given him and he's on a subway and um he has he has like this part of his his mental illness is he just involuntarily laughs even when he mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it and so he's on the subway and he sees this girl like a young woman being harassed by couple like rich preppy dudes Mm -hmm. and if i'm writing this movie and i think if anyone's writing this movie and you have like this tortured tormented um anti-hero anti-villain you're trying to build up what you do in that scene is you have your character stand up for like this woman who's being beat up Mm -hmm. or like not beat up but like you know um yeah empathy empathy like you have him show empathy for this character especially if your end statement is going to be people don't show empathy yeah but he doesn't do anything Mm. he sits there and like he he has a, a breakdown and he starts like laughing and these guys turn out turn away from the girl come to him start beating him up and that's when he shoots them wow it actually has nothing to do with the girl whatsoever and that yep that it's that's, so gross that's why it's i'm like so conflicted because he's clearly painted as a narcissist and a hypocrite but i don't know if the director wants us to feel that way I about i think him. he does and that's, I think, for me, the fundamental flaw of the movie, mm-hmm. at least. And again, I haven't seen it to be able to speak to that. But, like, there are two things that where I want to go from here. And one, I, I do want to address anyone who might eventually listen to this, who might have mental illness and might relate to feeling that alone and feeling like society's out to get you. Mm-hmm. Because society doesn't treat mental illness like it should. Mm-hmm. Not yet. We're, I, I, we're making we're getting better i feel like yeah um but that being said people who who have those tendencies who even have depression or or are bipolar or schizophrenic mm-hmm. they're still not treated the way they should they yeah. still a lot of times end up in mental asylums mm-hmm. when they shouldn't and there i do agree we need to have more empathy for people in that position mm-hmm. just like we need to have more empathy for people who are minorities or yeah. for people who are are marginalized by society as well like even women again people of mm-hmm. color um immigrants which is going to come up later mm. in this conversation um so if you relate to the character of arthur and and i know there are lots of people that really like that climactic scene because they felt justified like it's almost like that thirst for vengeance mm. because they finally have a character who represents their their feelings and how and how they feel that society has treated them, mm-hmm. whether or not those feelings are actually rooted in reality. Um, for Arthur, I would say, like to some extent, yeah, he was treated horribly by society. Mm-hmm. While I feel like a lot of people who relate to that have had experiences growing up, whether it's trauma, whether it's bullying in school, mm-hmm. where they felt, where they have justifiably felt othered, yeah, and they carry those feelings throughout the rest of their life, mm-hmm. not recognizing that part of the problem is dwelling on that and and almost making that your identity to some extent um and i don't like to talk about like the problems of victimhood because i think there are like everybody has a right if they've been treated that way to to be a a victim Mm. and to feel that way but to dwell on that and to make it your identity is how you end up Mm -hmm. a character like arthur And it's, I, I think it's, 
I think it's telling how fantastical the the evil society of mm-hmm. that movie is because again you could create a genuinely subtle movie about society and how society is like awful mm-hmm. but the movie doesn't do that it creates yes. this needlessly cruel need like laughingly mean society with like super rats and stuff which is just a weird plot point that never goes anywhere mm-hmm. but and and I think that is you know with that whole relation thing it's like there is a conflating of society that mm-hmm. happens. There is like an absurdification of society almost where like there's genuine pain and there's genuine yeah. whatever, but like society as a whole doesn't seek to destroy people. I think mm-hmm. like maybe I'm just too much of an optimist for this maybe. movie, but I guess what I, what I want to say to kind of end that portion, cause there are, I want to split, there are two segments of the audience, I feel like, that are really defensive of the character of Arthur in the movie. There are those who are late to the Joker because they have been hurt by society and they feel isolated Mm -hmm. and, like, loners and, like, they're not understood. And to, like, to those who feel that way, like, I see you and you're right to feel um, that society hasn't treated people with mental illness the way they should. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a violence isn't the answer. Yeah, exactly. And no one is justified to shoot like a talk show host or to shoot someone who has treated you poorly, even even if like those things have happened to you. Like, yeah. like there are better there are better ways to deal with the problem, and there are there's an internal struggle like it won't make anything better mm-hmm. is really what i'm trying to say yeah. like there's a validity to pain but yeah there's there's no sense where like there's no sense where like that sort of violence is justified yeah and i think the movie wants you to at least sympathize with that sort of violence yeah. but they cast it in such absurdity that it's just impossible to yeah and it's and this is where oh man there are two places i want to go right now and i can't I wanted I wanted to bring up Birth of a Nation. Interesting. Because I feel like that's also like a significantly violent response that's mm-hmm. justified in the movie. Yeah, cuz it's like genuine slavery and, gen- and genuine that, oppression. Like, and I feel like that's a, an important distinction to make yeah. between that's not to say that Arthur isn't experiencing And that is a legitimate side society that is built up yeah. against like a race it's not just people are really really mean for stupid reasons it is society has legitimately built itself against you Mm -hmm. i feel like that is an important distinction to make and that's not to say like arthur's pain is valid yeah his pain is valid but even if it's like heavily constructed by the movie yeah let's imagining that i guess more like a real world situation yeah like, the pain is valid, but it's not the same as slavery in that... No. To some extent, you can still choose to dwell on that pain or not. Yeah. Kind of. And I, I don't want to be insensitive to people who deal with that, because I know, like... I mean, I've, I've had dealt with mental illness issues in the past. Yeah. I know how easy it is to go into that spiral. Yeah. Where you feel like the world is against you, and you need to yeah. separate yourself. Um, but the answer isn't... To, to kill people yeah the answer is empathy yeah. that's that's the weird thing is like once you start to empathize with other people mm-hmm. and see the pain that they're feeling you realize that like there's something greater than yourself empathy shouldn't lead to destruction 
I do I do feel for the people who relate to Arthur for those reasons mm-hmm. that they feel like they have never been um, seen really mm. that's what it is they've never been seen mm-hmm. um, but to some extent you have to allow others to see you yeah. like you can't just isolate yourself mm. and, and I think I think that's a big part of the problem with the way Joker is set up as a movie Nando mm-hmm. Nando V Movies is a YouTube channel who actually did a video on this mm-hmm. because he compares it with King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, two movies that are heavily, heavily like influencers on Todd Phillips and on the Joker movie. And both of those movies have like built in characters who challenge the central beliefs of the protagonist mm-hmm. who say, hey, this is a bit extreme or like, what are you doing or whatever? And Joker doesn't have that. Mm. And because Joker doesn't have that and doesn't have someone to moderate yep. and have someone to say, hey, what about this side or what about yep. this perspective? the movie implicitly justifies everything that he does because at no point does the movie like condemn it in any way there's no character in that movie who's a genuinely like good character that offers an opposing view no that is like a better path basically and like you can have that and have joker say no i don't believe you and walk away and i'd be fine with that but because the movie doesn't have any sort of condemnation on his Mm -hmm. character whatsoever I genuinely think the movie wants you to agree with him and wants you to yeah. see what he's doing is right. And I can't agree with that because yep. that's morally wrong. 100%. Yeah. And, and that that's my biggest thing with this movie is mm-hmm. I feel like there are people who have watched this movie who haven't seen other movies like yeah. this, who haven't seen like Scorsese's movies or Nightcrawler or anything yeah. like that. And they're just like, yeah, this is an interesting way to have like a villain protagonist. But you can have a villain protagonist and still come out of the movie condemning the villain protagonist. Yeah. That is way more interesting to me than having a villain protagonist who is right. Yeah. Because Arthur Fleck is not right in this movie. He Mm -hmm. is morally wrong in almost every way. Yeah. But the movie doesn't say that. And so the movie wants you to agree with him. Yeah. And that, yeah, I feel like I agree. I agree with what you you said. Um, So to... I was going to say there are two kind of segments of people who defend Arthur. There are those that like relate to the character because he has mental illness mm-hmm. and they felt the same way in their lives that they felt isolated or alone. And so I've already kind of addressed that. And to you, like I, 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 I want to make, again, make you feel seen and not like further marginalized. But then there are those who defend Arthur because he's a white male that's being empowered in the movie. Yeah over other people groups and that's kind of the more incel i guess Mm -hmm. white supremacist movement that like love the character because it's a white guy that gets to take out anybody he disagrees with and i i don't there maybe are people who like legitimately see themselves as that i feel like a lot of it's more implicit than that where it's like hey here's this guy going up against society Mm. and like but the thing is, again, it's a very fabricated version of society. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's just so much in this movie about like how mental illness is treated. There yeah. are no good female characters in this movie. Mm. Female characters in this movie are either mentally ill, um, oppressed, or don't exist. There's no single female character in this movie who is cast in any sort of favorable light. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. It's it's gross. It's weird. Um, the only the only person who's cast in a fav- favorable light is Arthur Fleck. Everyone else is trash, and that's that, that's exactly the point I was gonna make. Yeah, because I guarantee you that the same people that love the Joker 
for particularly those reasons but you know even just the love the joker just because of of feeling empowered almost Mm -hmm. are the same people that dislike the last jedi maybe i bet you there's overlap or the same people that dislike captain marvel yeah i do i do think there's and i'm just saying this because of myself and because of the people i follow Mm -hmm. i think there is like an interesting overlap even like you were talking about critical scores before and like audience scores. Yeah. Like the critical score of Loker was fairly Joe, fairly, fairly Joe. Um, you just said the, the critical, you, sc- you said Loker and then Joe, <laughs> the critical score for Joker was it's fairly low. low. Yeah. Um, and, and re- in contrast to its audience score, which was very mm-hmm. high and it's made like a billion dollars now. Yeah. And Todd Phillips, they want to make him make more movies, which I don't know how you're going to do that. Firstly, I don't know how you'd make a sequel to this movie because it's the, the only natural place to take a sequel is to have him fight Batman. But yeah. that would have to be 10, 20 years later. And also this Joker could not fight Batman. He doesn't have the mental or physical fortitude to fight. He's a psychopath with a gun. Is essentially mm-hmm. how he's portrayed. Yeah. He he couldn't actually like have a plan. And yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Um, and also it would just be more of the same themes. I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's to the side. But like Last Jedi had a very high critical score mm-hmm. and a comparatively low audience score. Yeah. Like critics loved Last Jedi when it came out, and audiences were much more divided. Yeah, and see, with the Last Jedi for me, like I've grown to like really enjoy the movie, mm-hmm. and I feel like especially the themes it explores are yeah. excellent for the Star Wars film. Exactly. I still struggle with, and there are people that dislike Rey because it's a lead woman character. Yeah, and they dislike any movie. It's the same people that dislike Captain Marvel. Yeah, but I feel like. There's a significant difference in characterization between Captain Marvel and Rey. Oh, absolutely. And in Captain Marvel, like she, she's fairly like she's flawed. Mm-hmm. She's impulsive. Mm-hmm. She isn't a team player at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like she feels like she can take it all on her own. Yeah. And she learns by the end of the movie to kind of be more. Yeah. And she's going through, like, an identity crisis an identity the whole movie, crisis. too. And that's the really weird thing to me about criticism for Captain Marvel mm-hmm. specifically, is people want to bash, like, Brie Larson and her yeah. acting. Her acting's fine in the movie. Yeah. Like, I've heard so many people, like, oh, Brie Larson's so wooden. She's, like, so cocky and charismatic and fun the entire movie. Yeah. And then, like, sad when she needs to be and yeah. struggles when... She- her acting isn't a problem in the movie. It baffles me that people would even consider that. Yeah. Um, the problem with the movie is it's a character piece that wants to be a Marvel movie. Mm. And which, which is an interesting like inversion of the Joker, which is like a, a schlocky, um, I don't even know what it is, but it's trying to be a character piece, but it doesn't because Arthur Fleck doesn't have any motivation. Mm-hmm. Oh, ooh. That's interesting. Yeah, because like he he doesn't have any central goals, and his central goals are conflicted through the movie because he's like, I'm not political. I don't want to lead a rally. Mm. And then like his imaginary girlfriend is like, Hey, people are looking up to you. Isn't that cool? And he's like, Yeah, that is cool. It. And then the end of the movie has him like being looked up to by people, and everyone's mm. like, Isn't this cool? He has his goals are completely like contradictory. They don't make yeah. any sense. He doesn't have a motivation. Which is a weird thing to do for your character piece. Yeah. Um, huh. But Captain Marvel, like, there's a legitimately interesting character study there where it's like, 
rising up against systems of oppression mm-hmm. and systems that have like stripped you of your name and of your identity yeah. and finding your name again and like finding who you are and rising up against oppression but it's cast in like a typical three-act marvel form format and so a lot of the interesting parts of that are kind of washed away by the formula mm. which is unfortunate and it and it's important to note that I, I know what stands out to me is that like one flashback scene that felt like a, a commercial almost where it shows her like falling down and getting back up yeah. like through various stages of her yeah. life and that's like a huge point of that movie is that she fails a lot. Oh yeah. And like there are obstacles that she can't overcome, but she mm-hmm. still keeps going back and yeah. facing them. And the people who criticize that movie for having a female lead, mm-hmm. it's again, it's because they feel like a woman is being empowered and that's a proper strong female character. Mm-hmm. I feel like with The Last Jedi, I don't think I would put Rey in the same category. You don't think Rey's a strong character? I don't think she's a strong character. I really like Rey. I, and that's the thing, though. Like, Rey's a likable character. I, I want to hear what you have to say, and then I'm going to refute Sure. It. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I expect that to come. My problem with Rey is not, is not her likability. Mm-hmm. Or even that... I don't think Ray is portrayed as like the perfect character. Mm-hmm. She does have flaws. My problem is that those flaws don't really have a negative impact hmm. on her at any point in the two movies. And when you compare, like, I would like to compare her to Anakin or Luke okay. in previous movies. And I saw you retweeted something recently where it's like, and you're right, mm-hmm. that like at the end of The Phantom Menace, Anakin somehow flies a ship and destroys the battle station, and he's just a kid and doesn't mm-hmm. really have much experience, and he does it through the Force. Yeah. Luke, at the end of A New Hope, again, not much experience with the Force. He is a pilot. Yeah. Um, But again, not much experience, and yeah. he manages to destroy the Death Star, mm-hmm. again, through the Force. So Rey, at the end of The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. being able to destroy or, or to take on Kylo Ren and not lose like mm-hmm. outright... Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Like, it makes... It, it fits with the people, that aspect of the movie. Yeah. People also act like she beats Kylo Ren in that fight. It's like a draw Yeah, it's best. a draw. <laughs> but, so, like, my critique isn't so much with The Force Awakens. I feel like it's... It characterizes her fine enough. At least, like, reveals a struggle that she's, like... She's trying to figure out her identity. She's right. trying... I guess her motivation... That's one issue where I think kind of... That, gets, that, that ends up becoming a thing in The Last Jedi. But mm-hmm. her motivation seems to be in The Force Awakens to find some sense of belonging. Yes. Because she lost that when her parents left her alone on yes. Jakku for like 20 years or however long yeah. it was. My problem with The with the Last Jedi is as compared to The Empire Strikes Back or mm. even Attack the Clones. Yikes. Um, both Luke and Anakin end up failing. Because of their character flaws hmm. in those two movies. Anakin in episode two gets his arm chopped off because yep. he's a cocky idiot yep. to some extent. And, and Luke basically the same, same thing. Same thing. Though maybe at least Luke, it was kind of like he was trying to save his friends. Yeah. So like there was some kind of valid like thing Luke, there. Luke's thing is kind of overconfidence. Yeah. Luke, Luke just... And I mean, that kind of reads into Last Jedi or, and as that, well. And you could read... But the problem is that Rey doesn't lose in The Last Jedi. Yeah. Like, I mean, at all. For for Luke specifically, I think it's tough with Last Jedi. Like, yeah. It, it's interesting. People people think Luke is ruined in The Last Jedi, oh, but no. like, he has a lot of the same character problems oh, that he does through the original yeah. trilogy. I have no issue. Like, Luke is kind of like a failure throughout. I know. Like, the uh, Empire Strikes Back, the original. Yeah. 
and he kind of wins in Return of the Jedi, but even then, he literally gets like electrocuted, and yeah. he was like he would have died yeah. if it wasn't for like Anakin. Mm-hmm. So like Luke, it's it is a failure. Oh, yeah. to some extent. I'm gonna jump in here and correct past me for a second here. Uh, I think the whole point of Return of the Jedi is that Luke has to fail to win, kind of. I mean, he the only way to turn Vader back from the dark side, which is Luke's goal, his motivation, is for him to to lose to the Emperor. And in that way, he does win. I mean, if you look at it, it's like Luke's struggle is good versus evil. And like he has to take out the Emperor and destroy the dark side. Then you could consider him a failure. But if you consider Luke's goal is to not turn to the dark side and to turn his father back, then I don't think you can say he's a failure because he succeeds in doing both. I I need to to include that. The problem I have with The Last Jedi is that at no point does Rey face an obstacle that she loses to. Hmm. She doesn't have that same, like, fall that the other characters go through. I think... I think her struggles were definitely less obvious. They're yeah. like she doesn't get an arm chopped off or anything. I wanted to watch the movie again before we did this, but <laughs> um, the thing that makes Ray really interesting to me is she kind of strikes me as the ultimate millennial hero, mm. where she has no sense of belonging. She has no sense of self, mm-hmm. and her arc through both movies so far is going to other people and being like, "Hey, tell me who I am. Tell me." what my purpose is, what my reason for being is, give me a reason to exist. Mm. And nobody can. Mm-hmm. Like, Luke, like, like um, Han is like, well, you know, you can be with me. And then Han, spoilers, dies. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, well, I don't have that anymore. Luke is a disappointment to her. Um, yeah. Kylo Ren is a disappointment to her. Like, she's constantly trying to build her identity off of other people mm. and fails to. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's entirely true, though, because by the end of The Last Jedi, would you not say that she kind of has found belonging with everyone who survived on the Millennium Falcon? I think, I think her arc, I think it's less about finding belonging with like that community and more finding belonging in herself hmm. and coming to accept herself and accept who she is. Because like, she goes into the cave and all she sees is just her. Yeah. She she doesn't she's looking for her parents she's looking for someone to validate her and she only finds herself, hmm. and that's her arc in these movies so far is like finding that validation of self and that like acceptance of self, and it's it's a it's a very like philosophical journey which is why like definitely you don't she doesn't get an arm lopped off she doesn't do anything like that but I think like she puts her trust in the wrong things she puts her confidence in the wrong things and those will bite her. And they constantly bite her, and she she's constantly struggling with that. I don't like. I agree. Like I, this is what I wanted you to say. Yeah. So I won't, I don't want to view Ray as someone who's not a strong character. Mm-hmm. So I like what you said, but I don't know if it comes to bite her in the way that that you're saying. I think at least it, not yet. Yeah, it's definitely less. And I, I think this is the thing that people are are coming up against is because yeah she doesn't fail in the sense like she tries to open a door and it doesn't succeed. Mm-hmm. There's a one really really good deleted scene from the last Jedi that I wish made it in, mm. um, where basically uh, she they're on Act Two like they're on the island planet and 
they see like ships come in over the water to like one of the monk villages or whatever. Okay. And Ray's like, what the heck is this? And Luke's like, oh, they're pirates. They're, they come every, every once in a while. And Ray's like, I need to do something. Because so much, so much of who she is is like found in like taking action and like all of these. Yeah. So she she grabs her lightsaber, runs, sprints down in the middle of the night to this village, and it's a party, hmm. and it's just like other villagers who have come to celebrate. And Luke's like, yeah, like this is this is not a big deal. I was just messing with you. Okay. And it's I, I'm I'm not describing it nearly as well as it is in like the actual cut but it's it's really interesting because it's it's showing her overconfidence like mm-hmm. being a mistake and i think there's a degree of that in the last jedi like she's very confident of like oh kylo's gonna turn whatever mm-hmm. and like she's right to an extent but it also gets them in a lot of trouble like things blow up and like they get in a huge fight and the resistance is like decimated yeah, but the resistance being decimated has nothing to do with her actions. I think though. it does to an extent. It's a lot of different things. It's a lot of like the heroes failing in different ways. Oh yeah, and I mean like that's not. I I would say almost every other character in that movie fails. Oh yeah, which is why they end up decimated. Yeah, I just I don't know if Ray's one of the causes in the same way, unless you could say her influence of Kylo is a cause. I think, because, like, if, if things were to go well for Rey, Kylo Ren would turn, they would kill Snoke together, and everything would be fine, and they'd get mm-hmm. off the ship. But that doesn't happen. It kind of goes to trash. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's fair. But I do wonder why, like, and maybe it's because I haven't seen the movies in a while, but why she's so incredibly invested in watching Kylo turn. It's not like she had any, like, prior relationship with him until, like, Literally a week prior. Yeah. I mean, The Last Jedi does a lot to build up their relationship. I think it's, again... Which, yeah. It's it's like, it's her finding... Trying to find that belonging again. It's her... Yeah. Kylo Ren is someone who's like, I know you. I know the struggles you, you've been through. And I think Rey wants to believe that and wants to invest in that. And so maybe, like, over-invests. Huh. Maybe... And and, and, I and, and this is mean. why this is why I'm like it's a very kind of millennial character arc because yeah. it's not concrete in the sense of like where Luke's is very yeah very like here's a clear you know I'm Joseph Campbell structure yeah Ray is a lot more in her head which appeals to me because that's definitely how I am. Yeah, I I see what, I see what you're saying. I was just gonna say maybe she almost like was more visibly like distraught or yeah. at times, which is a hard thing to convey. Yeah, and That's... I mean even at the end, like I mean Luke dies because she can't turn Ren. Yeah, but that's also kind of Luke's choice, though. It is kind of Luke's choice, but it'd be interesting if she were to take all the blame on herself in the next yeah. movie. And this is this is where I feel like people are giving Last Jedi a lot of unfair mm-hmm. trash because we don't know how Rise of Skywalker well, goes. Yeah. And well, I mean, we do. Not necessarily. Some of us do. I, maybe. You're you're thinking of leaks. <laughs> but who's to say how accurate leaks are? And also, like, I I know I've seen a lot of people. I haven't read all of them fluently. But I know a lot of people who are like, oh, these leaks are really stupid and this movie is going to be stupid. But like you read and like take take Inception. 
Mm-hmm. On paper, that's a stupid movie. Yeah. So I'm interested to see... I think you can do a stupid idea and convey it in a good way. Oh, and I mean, like, the Endgame leaks, everybody was freaking out when they first came out. Oh, they're yeah. they're like, oh, it's going to be a horrible movie. And yeah. it ended up being... I mean, I liked it. So I there's a lot of leaks. I'm intrigued to see what will actually happen. But yeah, like... I don't think you can judge the arc of a trilogy and the arc of a character based on the middle piece. Mm-hmm. I think you need to see where all of that goes, and then and then you can look at them individually. Um, yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people who are like, J.J. Abrams is just going to throw out the script on Last Jedi, and that's not what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It is, well, I mean, I kind of, if the leaks are to be believed, mm-hmm. I know some of what happened. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't want to talk about it because that'd be real I bad. I don't want you to talk about it. All I'm gonna no, I'm not gonna say don't, anything. Don't say anything. I really want to though. We can we can meet up in a month and then we can talk about this. Yeah, I'm seeing it apparently on like opening night or something. I'm seeing it opening night. We're going to different theaters. So we are going to different know. theaters. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to link this all back to Don Cherry. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious how you're going to do that. It sounded better in my head. I don't know. I just saw everybody react like, oh, Don Cherry's not allowed to speak and, and like, no such thing as free speech anymore. When really, it's just people are upset that a white guy is being fired for saying something hurtful that they agree with. Yeah. I think, I think, again, it's that lack of empathy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because, because They have more empathy for Don Cherry because he's white like that. Maybe. All right, I'm going to cut in here and clarify once more. Um, I don't think people have more empathy for Don Cherry just because he's white. I think it's because he is kind of, in the hockey world, a beloved um, hero, commentator, individual who has highly influenced a lot of people. So it's not just because his of just because of his race, but I do think it probably plays a factor in all of this. I I don't know. When it comes to like a lot of those societal racial things, mm. I feel like a lot of it's like I don't, I don't there are some people who do. I don't think everyone necessarily sits down and thinks to themselves, this person is white, therefore I like them more. Mm. Um but I think you grew up in a certain environment and you see a more familiar face and you are inclined to say, hey, yeah. I stand more with this guy than these people I don't necessarily understand. Yeah. Um, and that's where, like, I've seen a couple articles. I know Kyle Jansen posted an article and, like, other people yeah. of just how hurtful the sentiments of Don Cherry can be mm. to people and to marginalized people and and to people who, like, you know, either, like, yeah, have to have had to immigrate to Canada, or maybe like have been immigrants to Canada and have fought and done a bunch of stuff for Canada. Yeah, and they're just kind of all blanketly ignored by hmm. Cherry's statement. Yeah, what Don Cherry said is wrong. Like, yes, like morally wrong. I mean, he literally called out, and if every as if every immigrant who's come to Canada doesn't care about like Canada, oh, yeah. basically is what yeah. he said. And and it's it's a weird thing because he talks about like poppies specifically, and there are like born and raised Canadian citizens who don't wear poppies. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I didn't even wear. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this. I didn't even wear a poppy this year. Yeah. Okay. I didn't leave the house, but I feel like there's a lot of weird rules to poppies. It's another one of those things like standing for the national anthem that yeah. is 
a symbol that's meaningless. I, I really like it as a gesture. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, it's become because i've heard all these different things of like if you wear it before a certain date it's disrespectful if you wear it yeah. after like the afternoon on november 11th it's disrespectful but people will like wear it for the whole month it's gatekeeping it, it's a lot of gatekeeping i honestly like more often than not don't wear one because i feel like i'm being more respectful than accidentally breaking some rule mm. that's interesting um which is probably wrong and uh, someone will crucify me for it but i mean and and again, I, I said I said that it's empty symbols. I, I don't think that's entirely true. No, I would I would disagree with they, that. They they do, they they matter. They have meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, people have made them into almost like a religious like. Yeah. Um, what's the term? Signifier. Practice. Practice. Signifier. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a cultural symbol. Um, which is almost like what Don Cherry did, because it's like yeah. if you if you don't wear this, you're not Canadian. Yep. Um. And I I don't think you can stand for that. I I don't understand that at least. Yeah, and then again, and it should be noted that Don Cherry wasn't fired for what he said. Was he not? No, Don Cherry was fired because we, he refused to apologize. That's interesting because he made an apology after he got fired. Except it wasn't an apology as much as it was a clarification and like. I, this is what I meant to say, yeah, and it came across fair. wrong. And it's because he, what he said is kind of what he meant, though. Yeah. What surprises me is that Don Cherry wasn't fired years ago. Or oh, just yeah. wasn't... Like, I was talking to someone uh, yesterday who knows way more about hockey than I do. Um, and he was talking about... He was surprised that, like... Because Cherry's contract ran out, I think, last year. Yeah. And this summer they renewed it. And he was surprised that they renewed it. Because, like, Don Cherry's just kind of always been a tool... And I remember growing up with, like, my dad watching hockey and always being like, who is this loudmouth jerk with a disgusting um, wardrobe who thinks that he can talk about these things and just shut out poor Ron McLean every time that he tries to open his mouth? Yeah, I mean, it should be noted that John Terry's always been xenophobic. Oh, yeah. Like, he's had significant issues with European players coming yeah. to the NHL. Yeah, and, like, it just, it weirds me out. And, like, maybe I'm just not as attached to the man or the game, but I'm like, I'm surprised that so many people have come out to defend Don Cherry. I'm like, I thought we all agreed that he was kind of a tool, but apparently yeah. not. He's, it's weird because he is kind of like, to some extent he, he was and has been the face of hockey for a long time. Maybe not rightfully so, but like, at least for Canadians, yeah. like every Canadian growing up who was into hockey knew Don Cherry. Like, yeah. and, and like, Don Cherry was probably right, maybe half of the half of the time. Yeah, like he he's a, a blowhard. And, he's such a blowhard, and he and he's made comments in the past that he says he's a nationalist and he isn't a fan of the immigrants coming here. So like, he's always been like this since like the nineties. Oh yeah. Um, it is hard because he does like he's the reason a lot of people have gotten into hockey. It's his passion for the game. That have that influenced a lot of other people to to be passionate See, about it. I feel like he is part of the reason I didn't get into hockey, which is and yeah, and it's a different. It, it is a it's a hard thing, and again, like I obviously, what Muhammad Don Cherry, he was wrong and he deserved to be fired, but yeah. like I understand people. If, if who, not for that comment, then for other comments at some point. Yeah, <laughs> like he. 
but I understand people who view him as having a big influence on their lives yeah. because he's always it's that consistency. Mm-hmm. Every time you turn on the TV Saturday night, Coach's Corner was always there. Yeah, and I think that's something to get attached to. Mm. Um, but I do also think there is that segment of the population that see that sees a powerful white male mm-hmm. standing up for their beliefs, which happen to exclude yeah. a lot of people, and they see him getting fired, and they're like. No, this is just another way my beliefs are being infringed yeah. upon, and which this is, is ridiculous. This is the weird thing is, um, because yeah, I think whether whether or not it's like the white savior thing or not, mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are like, who do have problems with immigration and do have problems with like other cultures, and that's kind of what they're getting stuck on. Where it's like, hey, all he said was you people. That doesn't mean anything, and they don't realize like the harm of that statement. Yeah. And if they do, they're like, well, people should just get over it because they have grown up not needing to deal with harm. And they're like, what, what is harm? What mm-hmm. is pain? Like, this doesn't mean anything. And there's just, again, that lack of empathy, that lack of yeah. understanding because they've never had to deal with anything like that. Yeah. Um, that's the biggest thing, I think, that we're, we're seeing in, I guess, a lot of these examples is just a refusal to see that other side. And yeah. a refusal to acknowledge that people have different lives than us mm-hmm. and that the things we do and support and say have an impact. Yeah. I feel like the whole theme of this is just put yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah. And, uh, and like, don't just say you're going to do it or don't just say that empathy is important. Mm-hmm. Like, actually take action. Bear each other's burdens. Basically, to some extent. But, like, actually like, do me, something. Give it to Oh, my goodness. No. um no but actually like see the world through other people's perspectives and try to understand why like if you're as an american psalmist once said look at your life through heaven's eyes oh my goodness yes but basically all i'm trying to say is that if you're upset that don cherry was fired put yourselves in the shoes of someone who is an immigrant and who would have been hurt by those words Mm -hmm. and if you're upset that people don't like the joker try to try to understand the views that are being or the beliefs that are being offered by that movie yeah. that are harmful and will resu- can maybe not will but can result in violence or yeah. justification of violence yeah and i feel like the, one of the things with joker is there's a lot of people who want to t- detach the message from the movie mm-hmm. and i don't think you can do that i don't think you can do that because i think i've seen a lot of people who are like well like no the movie's not actually trying to say that like he's crazy or something like that like mm-hmm. there i've seen people who are trying to be like look it's from his perspective yeah which you can do that but still condemn him yeah like you can have a movie from his perspective but still have a character who's like you're wrong and then he ignores them yeah um or there's people like he's crazy what he does doesn't have to make sense but yeah. the movie around it is still agreeing with his actions whether he's crazy or not yeah also todd phillips has tried to insist that he has a moral code yeah which doesn't make sense if he's crazy um and like any any justification for that movie, I think just ignores a lot of the subtext of it, whether mm-hmm. it's like Todd Phillips' perspectives or these different things, or just the society behind it that is like implicitly supporting everything that this guy is doing. Mm-hmm. And and like I can't I can't in good conscience say this is a good movie because if i say it's a good movie i'm defending i think a lot of the messages of the movie yeah and the messages of the movie are inherently destructive yeah. they're inherently um anti-woman anti-mental illness anti like 
structures. Um, and, and there's, like, something to say about having a nice, like, libertarian movie, but this isn't libertarian. It's just destructive for destruction's sake. Yeah. Talking about putting yourself in other people's shoes, like, to those of you who feel have mental illness or feel alone or separated or isolated basically you're not alone and there are a lot of people that feel the same way you do yeah as much as it feels like it and it feels like society's out to get you the vast majority of society really doesn't care yeah which isn't a good thing and i think this is this is the thing back to don cherry kind of tying everything together Mm. this is i think a big trend of the reactions that have happened to this is there's a lot of people like society just doesn't like people who will stand up for themselves yep. and doesn't like people who have an opinion and doesn't they're so they're so butthurt about everything and they don't like anything yeah and what they don't realize is we live in a society that is changing mm. um or, or they realize that but they don't understand that like for the past several thousand years society has been destructive and society hasn't acknowledged other people's perspectives and has just said hey might makes right white makes right um, you know, if you're, if you think differently than us, we're just going to colonize you or we're going to make you think the way we think yep. and hasn't taken the time to actually understand and uphold other people's perspectives. Yeah. Um, and people think that they're operating off of truth, but they're actually just operating out of bias. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, sometimes you just say something and you're like, wow, that hit. Um, cause yeah, like Don Cherry isn't operating out of truth. He's not operating out of some grand object of truth that if you don't wear a poppy, you're disgraceful and you're mm-hmm. not Canadian. He's operating out of his perspective. Yeah. And people disagree with his perspective. And people have the right to disagree with his perspective because mm-hmm. people have different lives than him. People have lives where they have been beat up and oppressed and like genuinely oppressed by society, yeah. not just canceled because they didn't like what they had to say. Genuine oppression. Yeah. White men aren't oppressed. People who say things on radios that the company disagrees with and then gets fired, that's not oppression. That is the company's right to fire a person they disagree with. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note that you're allowed to express whatever you want. Yeah. And you can even say it on public television, but the moment you start saying things that will harm or have caused harm to other people... Mm -hmm. That's where you cross the line. So it's not so much like, oh, my free speech is being infringed upon. No. You just Don Cherry wasn't imprisoned for what no. he said. Like he still has free speech. People can just disagree with him. Exactly. That and is what free speech is. But you can't say something that will like tangibly or has tangibly harmed yeah. a people group. Yeah. And expect not to face ramifications. Yeah. Like and I don't know why you would even try to defend someone's right to be able to say things like that without facing any kind of ramification from an employer. Yeah, because it's, and again, it's it's this sense of, um, there's a specific word that is escaping me, um, but it, it it's, I guess, privilege. Like, yeah. this sense of, hey, we live in a country of free speech, let me say whatever I want. Don Cherry can say whatever he wants, yep. but other people have the free speech to reprimand him for saying what he wants. Yep. That is what free speech is. Free speech doesn't mean you can say absolute BS and get away with it. It means you are entering an open conversation where people don't get locked up and oppressed for saying things. Yeah. 
No one's arresting Don Cherry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I feel like I kind of want to wrap up this conversation with a critique of of progressiveness. Mm. I feel like sometimes people are so progressive that they become unforgiving. Hmm. Yeah. And and I'm not saying like, oh, you should forgive Don Cherry because he didn't really apologize. I'm saying that people who do tangibly like apologize and see the error in their mm-hmm. ways, we need to be more forgiving of those people and more. A really good example of that is like what happened with James Gunn. Mm, yeah. Because James Gunn in his youth was an idiot. Yep. And he will admit to it. And he will admit to being like, I was a really trash person and I'm trying to move on from that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was like like Trump supporters or like radical, the radical right or something like that. But yeah. people dug up his comments and were like, hey, look at this. And so Disney fired him. And Disney was like, yeah. we can't have someone who says these things. And James Gunn made multiple statements of like, I have moved on from this. This is no longer who I am. Mm. Uh, I used to be a trash person, but I'm not anymore. Yeah. And everyone rallied behind him. And then Disney rehired him because they're like, yeah. you're right. You have changed. You have grown. We can forgive you for this. Yeah. And I think that is something that is a lot harder for some people to see than others. Where, and like, I am naturally, I like to think of myself as like a realistic optimist. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, I understand the world is trash, but I still hold out for people to like move on and improve and do better Mm. um i don't think and and this is like a really hard thing when it comes like these societal issues that we're talking about because we'll again we'll we'll bring up someone like x person was a sexist and i'll be like well yes but also like he didn't he lived in a society that didn't know any better and he couldn't have been much better than that and i it's a tension that i live in and i I understand I, there are problems with it, but I'm like, hey, there are multiple perspectives to everything. Yeah. And people should be condemned for being wrong, but people should also be given some leisure to like improve or mm. at least be like, hey, you grew up in a trash time and I'm sorry for that. Yeah. And one thing I want to mention about like, there's this big thing that a lot of progressives I've, I've seen and followed and, and um, heard from seem to believe that you can't be friends with people who disagree with you. <laughs> and like, to some extent I, I understand like where they're coming from. Like, and, and I don't, I'm speaking mostly to like white progressives right now, because if you're marginalized and you have been hurt by people, mm-hmm. it's a different story. And I don't have any right to tell you what you can or can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm friends with people I disagree with and who have done harmful things and who have promoted harmful views. Yeah. And I'm not going to get rid of my friendship over that. I'm um, friends with people who like the Joker movie. Yeah, well, that's true. I don't understand them, but like they're good people Aside from that. Yeah, and I mean... <laughs> we. <laughs> okay. Uh, we live in... Like, we live in a very conservative society, like where we are in Alberta. Yeah. And so, like, a lot of, like, my old friends and whatnot are conservative. Oh, yeah. I would still consider them my friends. I don't see how else you can change someone or or influence someone positively unless you're their friend. And this is this is the interesting thing. Kind of tying back to that, that sense of, like, superiority mm. where 
I, I look at like a lot of Christian circles and I think there's been for a lot of I think especially for people who've grown up in conservative cultures, there is an attitude of like if you are not the same brand of Christianity than I am, then I need to convert you. Mm, yeah. And that's so destructive. Um because you look at like what happened to like the indigenous in Canada yeah. and stuff like that, where it was just this mindset of like you need to think the way that we think, yeah. and that became so so destructive. Yeah. But on the flip side, when you see where Christianity and other groups have come up alongside people and said, "Okay, we disagree on some things, but we also agree on these things," and yeah. formed bonds and formed friendships out of that. That is where true community, true love happens, mm-hmm. and maybe that's where people like come to under actually understand Christianity. Yeah, but not in the sense of like you are wrong. I need to convert you. Yeah, and I like I keep coming back to this thing. Like, if someone is racist, is it better to throw them in prison for being racist, yeah. or is it better to try and educate be, them? Educate them, and you can. You, people are only willing to listen if you become their friend yeah because again like you you look at something like racism um and like movies and tv shows who poorly portray racism will tell you that race to be racist you are like one person who hates someone of a different race yeah and there are elements where that's correct Mm -hmm. um but the the thing about racism is it's mostly systemic yeah it's mostly people who are raised up in cultures and societies that just naturally favor one race over the other and they learn from that and the only way to fix that isn't to have some natural like revelation of like hey by the way um don't be racist anymore it's you you have to be educated and you have to hear people's stories that is something i'm still going through with like some minority groups because i just grew up a certain way and Mm. starting to be like oh actually like i was wrong about this culture group or this like societal group and there there are more aspects of this than i realized and that only comes through time and that only comes through like proper community and proper education Mm. you can't lock someone in a room and make them not be racist or sexist or not a homophobe anymore like that's not how it works Mm. yeah i i agree i agree with everything you just said I don't know if I have much more to say on you the topic. You can't lock someone in a room and be like, watch Last, Je- Last Jedi 50 times until you like it. As much as I would love to yeah, do that. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you would do that. <laughs> and I, just... I will watch Last Jedi 50 times and still love it. <laughs> oh, boy. But it is, it's is—it's—it's hard when it's like someone who's like, would I ever expect someone who's gay to be friends with someone who's actively a homophobe? Mm. That's like, that is such a tough issue. And I'm yeah. not... I think it's, I think what you have to come down to is, like, you have the right to, like, make or break the friendships that you have, mm-hmm. but consider a ministry of reconciliation mm-hmm. against um, just cancel culture. That's a yeah. hard one. It, it's a hard one, because if, like... Do I expect the oppressed to become friends with their oppressors? I don't know. Yeah. That's... And I think, I think they have, again, they have the right to say no to that. Yeah. That sort of thing, that's almost the sort of thing where, like, the the impetus is on the oppressor to, like, mm. but it's hard. Yeah, that, that one's, I feel like we need to be more forgiving and be more willing to be friends, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I understand people who obviously, yeah, 
there there are boundaries that you need to have. I feel yeah. like yeah, for the sake of your own. Because like I would I would health. never expect someone who somebody sexually assaulted yeah. to want to be friends with their assaulter. Exactly. Um, I I've heard stories of like forgiveness, but that's not friendship. Um, mm-hmm. those are those are completely different things. Yeah. Um, and so would you would you expect yeah, would you expect someone who's been oppressed to forgive their oppressor? I think it depends on what the social structure is. Yeah, that's... And, like, where they're at with that. Because there still needs to be justice. Mm. But at the same time, at the same time, if you are someone who's been oppressed, that doesn't give you the right to act out and oppress people in return. Mm-hmm. That, you know, just because society hates you doesn't give you the right to shoot people with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know what you're getting at there. Yeah. Especially if you're a white male. Um. <laughs> yeah. And, again... If you're oppressed, you have every right to feel hurt. You have every right to be angry. Mm-hmm. You have every right to, even to some extent, act out, but not in ways that will, like, I don't know. It's, it's so hard when it comes to social justice issues because sometimes yeah. maybe violence is the answer. I don't know. Noah wants to burn down the government and start again. Uh, I mean, I did tweet something like that, didn't I? <laughs> Probably. It's that's a hard. I really don't know. And this is this is the interesting thing, because I I was at um, I, I was at a church service a couple of weeks ago, and the whole um, message was essentially on like how do we deal with conflict? Mm. Because a lot of people, if you run into conflict with a friend on like a genuine argument, your solution is to break the friendship and move forward mm. or like move onward. Um, but so so much of genuine friendship, like actual genuine friendship, comes from encountering real conflict. And dealing with it together and reconciling that and moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's the question is, and I think there are genuine, and like he said in the message, like there are genuine issues that like you just shouldn't do anything about. Like you should yeah. just ignore the person. If you can't experience reconciliation with a p- person, don't like hang around them because that's toxic. But... I think yeah, that that that's sort of like the central. If you don't feel like, if you can't be reconciled with a person, and an attempt to be reconciled mm. is only going to bring further toxicity. Yeah, that is destructive for you. But if there is room for reconciliation, and if there's room for middle ground, seek it out if possible. Mm-hmm. I just I worry that maybe it's easy for us to say that because yeah, we're kind and that's, of that's like the, biggest the thing. white majority. Yeah. Like we're basically oppressors or oppressors telling the oppressed to like, oh, just reconcile. When I I recognize it's not that black and white. Oh no. I just Yeah. It, it's it is there needs to be justice. There, I, I yeah. feel like like there needs to be justice, but can there still be forgiveness in that justice? And maybe that's what the story of the cross is oh yeah maybe i've always thought that you know the climax of of the bible is not so much the cross itself but what christ says on the cross Mm. because and i'm talking about i think it's luke you can correct me on that uh maybe not the father or my god my god why have you forsaken me it's father forgive them for they know not what they do yeah i feel like that's the defining moment of what what it means to be christ-like or or whatever you want to call it what it means to be loved to some extent it doesn't mean there won't be justice Mm -hmm. 
but at the same time, it's recognizing that we're all prone to these unconscious biases and the scapegoating. Yeah. And we really, we're, whether we think we know what we're doing or don't, we really don't because that's the nature of violence, of scapegoating, of of any form of oppression. It's systemic. It's like, it's forgive everyone, really. Because mm-hmm. none of us really know the extent to which we're, I don't know, oppressors, really. Yeah. It takes a lot of humility on on the the backs of the majority i don't know um it it takes a lot of humility it takes a lot of self-reflection and it takes a lot of honesty Mm -hmm. to say you know what no i am part of a society that has done screwy things yeah and i'm going to try my best to be better yeah i will not always succeed i will occasionally fail um possibly fail more than ray does in the last jedi um but i will try my best yeah, basically, like, you can forgive someone and still bring them to justice. Oh, yeah. Someone at the door? So, oh, somebody knocked. Hello? Oh, it's a podcast. Hey, hello? Yep. Hi there. What's up? Uh, I just wanted to say hi. 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 Uh, thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. I'm keeping that in. I like how Schubert's just going to be in every yeah, episode of the podcast apparently. now, apparently. <laughs> So I wanted to clean up what was a rather disorderly podcast and try to come up with a, a more concrete conclusion here. Um, I feel like one of the major things that kept coming up was the importance of empathy and seeing through different lenses in order to experience the world as someone else would. In other words, put yourself in someone else's shoes or um, bear each other's burdens. This world is inherently connected and we all have to be willing to see that divinity in all people and all things, regardless of how they might act. Richard Rohr often Um, brings up the difference between being made in the image of God and being Christ-like. We all bear the divine image. In some ways, we're all divine. But so few of us are really Christ-like, are really love. And so we need to have empathy for each other because none of us has it perfectly right. We need to have empathy for those who believe that violence is the answer. We need to have empathy for those who are oppressed, for those who are marginalized, for those who have mental illness, for those who are people of color, for those who are indigenous, for those who are um, disabled, for those who have faced all kinds of oppression from society. We need to empathize with those most of all. But at the same time, we need to remember to empathize with those who are oppressors. And I know that's incredibly difficult to do. And it means empathizing or sympathizing with Trump, with the GOP, with various dictators and authoritarian leaders around the world. And yet, even they bear the image of God. However, we also need to recognize that they are not being Christ-like. They are not acting out of love. They are not treating their fellow human beings the way that they deserve to be treated. They're acting out of the superiority of their own egos, and they need to be brought to justice. 
they need to face the consequences for their actions they need to be brought down from their places of power and those who have been oppressed need to be brought up so it really is a balance a balance between justice and forgiveness between likeness and image it's that lack of likeness that needs to be brought to justice while always recognizing the ever-present image of the divine in everyone and everything.